So when the time comes and it's a live deal, I'll do the intro with Jamie and I'll say, you know, Jamie's my senior underwriter. He's going to take your file from this point to completion. You know, we're here for you. Anything you need, let us know. And then he immediately jumps in, like usually within 15, 20 minutes, introduces himself, books a 15 minute phone call. And this 15 minute phone call is probably the reason why people don't feel like they're handed off anymore. Because then they speak to him, they get a very good comfort level with him. And they're like, oh, great. Sue and Jamie are great. Like, we'll get the comment back from the client at the end. You two were amazing. Thank you. Right. So I try to avoid the whole, you know, handing it off to an assistant per se, because that's when I think clients, especially when they see me on social and they see me on TV, then they get disappointed. Oh, you're handing me off. Right. Right. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Sue Hamid. Sue is a top 75 mortgage broker in Canada. She's only been in the mortgage business for eight years, which is phenomenal that she's having this level of success. She built her business from two people up to 40 agents today. Last year, she did just over $90 million in production, 191 loans closed personally, not including what her agents did as part of her team. And we talked about three key things today. We talked about she's made a couple of major changes to her process in order to become more efficient, to serve her clients better. And I think it's very interesting how she used to have more people that would touch a file, and now she's reduced the number of people that touch a file, and she's found a big difference. She also talks about how she does not submit files without full documents up front and how that's actually made such a huge difference in her client satisfaction, as well as being able to deliver really great results for her clients. We talk about how she combined social media and old media with new media. And what I mean by old media is she does stuff with CTV, she does radio, and then she combines that with social media in order to get the biggest bang for her buck, the best punch. And that's still her number one lead source right now is people finding her on social. But it's because of, you know, the, all the things she's doing, not just the social she's doing, but the other combinations. And then finally, we talk about contracts. So, you know, we're respectful of the fact that there are lots of different brokerages out there. But we as mortgage brokers, if I put on my mortgage broker hat for a second, it's always important to understand the contracts that you sign and get them looked at. And so she talks a little bit about that as well. So it's a very interesting conversation. Love chatting with Sue. She's got fantastic energy and just really a great person. I'm not at all surprised that she's seeing the success that she's having. Also want to give a shout out to our title sponsor. So Finmo has graciously said, hey, Scott, we love what you're doing. We want to support you. We want you to continue to put out episodes for the brokerage community. And I am super grateful to the guys at Finmo and Lendesk. And so a couple quick things on those guys. They're one of the main platforms that's available right now for Canadians to submit files through Finmo and through Lendesk. And then there's, of course, Velocity and Phylogics. And what I love about what's changed in the last few years is, you know, I've been in the business since 2006. We had one option, really. We had, you know, Phylogics and there wasn't a whole lot of innovation happening. Honestly, there'd be no offense to the guys at Phylogics, but they had a pretty good gig. I always call it, it was an island of lenders and there was one toll bridge that you went through and it was Phylogics. And in the last few years, we have seen more and more companies come along and say, wait a second, maybe we can compete with these guys and maybe we can do something different. And what I love about the competition is whichever platform you're using, whether you're still on Phylogics, you're noticing that they're now investing in improving their platform. If you notice what's happening with Lendesk and Velocity, everybody is doing a really great job of wanting to you know create a good experience for the end broker so we as brokers we win and so do the clients because we're seeing innovation so this is fantastic i have personally looked at the different products that are out there. i love how finmo is very simple easy to use it is a great platform and so whatever you're using i always describe this as you know it's like choosing a girlfriend you know we never tell you what girlfriend you want to choose but there are at least right now i believe that 
what's best for the broker communities that we have options, we have choice. So check those out. Check out Finmo. I think it's a fantastic tool. You can go to finmo.ca slash ILMD. And thanks again for checking out this episode. Hey, Sue, welcome back to the show. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me back. So we haven't chatted in a while. And so there's a few topics that I wanted to jump into today to have a conversation with you. First one is really about how you've made a change to your model in terms of like who does what. So I call it a one and done model. You have fewer people working on files now and it seems to be working better. So maybe walk me through what you were doing and then the change you made and what that effect you've had from it. Absolutely. So previously I was working with a underwriter and a funder model. So what that essentially meant is that there was, you know, three hands in the same file. And it definitely inevitably led to, you know, a little bit of a disconnect. It could be something small or something big, but what I realized in doing it that way is that there would be a disconnect and I wanted to make the process more streamlined for the client. I didn't want clients being asked by the funder for something that was already clarified with the underwriter. We experience the same thing with lenders. Like sometimes when we're dealing with the underwriter and they have a funder, you know, the funder comes back to us and asks us something and we're like, well, wait a second, we already told the underwriter this shit. Yeah, totally that happens. You're like, wait a second, they said it was fine or vice versa, right? Like, yes, okay, I totally make sense. Yeah, so we can definitely put ourselves like right in the client's shoes. And when I realized that was happening, I definitely realized that the same person taking the file from underwriting to funding and being the only point of contact for the client would streamline the process and provide a better experience. So I fully moved the model to two full-time underwriters earlier this year, and it's worked amazingly. Like our efficiencies are amazing. Our closing ratios has increased. All in all, it's been the best move ever. Right. I guess anybody listening to this, these are experienced people that you have. It's basically another Sue who's helping with once you do the strategy session. So you're going to be like, okay, plan. Okay, awesome. We can do it then they're taking that and finishing the file. Do you ever have to jump back into those files or where do you insert yourself again? I'm curious. Only when there's an issue. (laughs) And of course, like I develop really strong relationships with my clients. So they might text me or they might ask me a question here and there. I don't have a problem answering or, or discussing it with them. But when it comes to the nitty gritty, like the document collection and all that stuff, I'm not involved. Like I don't have time to scrub, you know, three months of bank statements and go line by line. So I'm only really involved. I'm pulled back in if there's an actual issue, which we can get to in a bit, but it rarely happens for us because we're all docs up front, right? Right. Uh, So with the underwriter position, what I realized the most is that I needed somebody who was an extension of me, like you mentioned, and who was going to manage the client the same way I do. So one really, really crucial part of this underwriter position is someone who has the sales skills. Like if a client calls my underwriter instead of me, and starts questioning the rate or questioning the product or starts giving some pushback, you know, I need that person to kind of reinforce what I already sold. I don't want them to go, oh my gosh, you got to talk to Sue and then or say something even like, yeah. To make it worse, right? (laughs) Exactly. So, So that's a key role for the position for me is that, and of course the experience, knowing how to underwrite, like I don't want an underwriter to come in where I have to tell them, how to put a file together, you know, I'm definitely there. Like we go back and forth a lot. So if there's a file and they're like, well, what do you think? I'm going to send it here. Do you have a better idea? And then we kind of make decisions based on that when needed. Right. Here's what I'm curious of. So they come to Sue because they see you. We're going to talk about your social media, other things you're doing in a second. They're like, oh my gosh, Sue's amazing. Let's say you're handing it off to who's one of your underwriters. What's her name? His name's Jamie. Jamie. So what do you say about Jamie so that I trust Jamie as much as I trust Sue? Because I think when people struggle with this, is because they feel like it's a hand down. It's like the nurse is going to help you, not the doctor. So how does that trust get transferred? 
Yeah, so I don't call the individual an assistant, they're a senior underwriter. And when I do the introduction, actually, let me backtrack for a second because we've implemented a really great platform called Velocity. And I actually have a drip campaign where at the beginning, the client gets an email saying you are working with the Mortgages with Sue team. So I'm already kind of alluding to the fact that we're a team. And I can't do everything myself. It's not physically or humanly possible, right? So when the time comes and it's a live deal, I'll do the intro with Jamie and I'll say, you know, Jamie's my senior underwriter. He's going to take your file from this point to completion. You know, we're here for you. Anything you need, let us know. And then he immediately jumps in, like usually within 15, 20 minutes, introduces himself, books a 15 minute phone call. And this 15 minute phone call is probably the reason why people don't feel like they're handed off anymore. Because then they speak to him, they get a very good comfort level with him, and they're like, oh, great, Sue and Jamie are great. Like, we'll get the comment back from the client at the end. You two were amazing. Thank you. Right? So I try to avoid the whole, you know, handing it off to an assistant per se, because that's when I think clients, especially when they see me on social and they see me on TV, then they get disappointed. Oh, you're handing me off, right? Right. So, okay, that makes a lot of sense. It's partly, so the couple of things you do, title matters. So the trust is not like, hey, my assistant, senior underwriter, you're using a drip campaign. You're always talking about team. It's not just the Sue show, it's the team. Yeah. So then they're like, okay, I understand there's gonna be more people here. And then in the handoff, there's actually like a conversation that they have because there's more trust gets built on the phone faster than any other way possible. So you get them on the phone together. He basically wraps his arms around them and now they feel cared for and they're good. All exactly. right. Okay, so I want to go back to something else you touched on. So the all docs up front. So when did you change to this? That was my first question. The second question is, were you afraid that it was going to actually like create backfire, essentially? Like nobody's going to do this or we're going to get less business. I'm curious because this is what people think, right? People think I'm going to ask for all this stuff. Look at the list. So tell me about what happened there. Yeah, so we definitely started this model a couple of years ago. And I would say that one side of the process that warmed us up to this model, I have to give it up to probably my Scotia BRM, who's a hardcore docs up front guy. So you can't even submit the file to him without all the docs up front. And once you do that and you get to the groove with it, then you realize, well, wait a second, why are my Scotia files complete in like a couple of business days? And then I don't even have to think about them. And then I have these other files where we're chasing people at the last minute for documents. So the light bulb went off and I said, you know what? This will improve efficiencies, save so much time, and it has saved a ton of time because we're no longer dealing with last-minute funding problems. We're no longer going back to the client at the last minute for something. Very rarely does it happen. And I even prefer to support lenders who will take the docs up front and sign them off quicker as well. Like if a lender is going to take you know, six weeks to sign off on the documents, doesn't really flow with my process, right? Right. Yeah. It's too hard to deliver a good customer experience with that. It's like, okay, great. I'll call you in six weeks and then I'll probably need more stuff from you. Like, so you were forced into it and then you realized it was better and then you just applied it. Now, at any point, did you get any pushback from clients? Just out of curiosity when you switched to this? Absolutely. I mean, clients will want the path of least resistance up front, but part of my initial spiel when we talk is I tell them right off the bat, I'm going to ask you for a lot of stuff up front. The reason I'm asking you for all these documents is so that we have a smooth approval and funding process and that your approval is actually solid. I mean, you don't want me to take half the documents, get you a, you know, 60% approval and then have a surprise later on. So it has to be introduced as early on as possible. It's also a great way to weed out people who are not serious because if they're shopping or they're calling 10 people and you ask for documents, they go become somebody else's problem. Exactly. Yeah. All and, right. And 
you get to the point in your business where you're like, no, I don't want to waste my time on those people. I want committed clients who are going to devote the time and send in the documents up front and be committed to the process. And I think in that way, it weeds out a lot of tire kickers. Right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Okay. I love that. These adjustments to your process that seem to be working well for you. So talk to me about how you combine new media with old media and how that's a big source of your business. So maybe just talk about what you're doing off of social media and then how you tie that in. For sure. So when I started in the business in 2013, I immediately hit social media. At the time, you know, there wasn't a lot of brokers on social. People were starting to get into social, but I went full force on social and I started building and it took years. Like it takes a long time to build your brand and build your presence. And then in 2017, when I got approached by CTV to start doing segments with them, I said, well, this is great for branding. It's great for credibility. And how can I maximize my CTV exposure? How can I take these segments and then maximize the reach? And immediately from the first segment I did, I shared it on social and it got an amazing response. You know, I get phone calls. I saw you on CTV. I saw your clip on social or I watched it on TV. I'm just amplifying the number of people who have their eyes on it. Beginning of this year, I incorporated some digital marketing as well and some radio. And for me, it's the repetition. Like when someone calls me, one of the first comments I get often is, you know, I've heard your name everywhere. I keep seeing you everywhere. It's like, I have to call you. <laughs> and that's basically the strategy that I want is I want them to hear my name three times, four times. And then now it's even better because I have a larger client base. And then one of my clients or referral partners also says, call Sue. And then they're like, whoa, this is crazy. Everyone's telling me to call Sue. I'm seeing her everywhere. I should call her. And then that's how I get the lead in the door. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And so do you think that the effort you put into social media for those four years before CTV called, do you think that led to that opportunity? Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Because I was into the social stuff. I was into the video stuff. And when we video, right, they app, can see you. They're like, Oh, she can talk in front of a camera. And then all of a sudden now you have an opportunity that amplified like crazy. Exactly. Well, I got the opportunity with CTV because my launch video when we started Platinum was put out there and one of the producers at CTV saw the video and called me in. So that's actually how I got the introduction. Uh, see, that's it. And anybody listening to this, like social media, it's the long game. It's very powerful. But don't be like, I put a post out. Nobody called me. I didn't get a mortgage. Like I always use the analogy. So we live in wine country. And when somebody plants a vineyard, I'm not an expert, but from first plant to the first bottle is seven years. So they're planting a vineyard with the idea that they know that it's going to be seven years before. But once that thing gets going, it's amazing. It doesn't take seven years of social media effort, but it's going to take you some time. And like in your case, the four years you were getting business and now boom, turns into a CTV opportunity. Then then now radio and then you can take all that content and share it. And as we were saying before we turn on the air, when somebody sees you on CTV, there's an immediate credibility level. Like I get most of my news from Facebook. So if I see somebody who's got that credential. It does help for sure. For so sure. it um, consumer confidence. Absolutely. Right. Okay. So somebody doesn't have that. So somebody's listening to this, like, okay, that's awesome for Sue. She's got TV and radio. What would be your advice to them when it comes to social to like get this thing going? My best advice would be don't just do social. You have to mix it with something else. So when I first started, I did social, but I did a ton of networking events. And okay. obviously now I know COVID, you know, put that on hold for a while. But once we get back to that, when people see you on social and then they meet you face to face or they see a video of you or whatnot, it just builds that more of a rapport. I would also say, you know, videos are not for everybody, but if you can do videos, do videos, right? I mean, it's that uh, we're sick and tired of scrolling and reading like people want some interaction. So don't just do social. And that's a mistake I see a lot of the new agents come in. They want to build their Facebook page and their Instagram page 
and then they just want to sit there and wait for the business to fall. Yeah, yeah. You've got to do both. Okay. That's awesome. All right. So last question. So we're going to talk about contracts. And so what have you learned about contracts that you kind of wish you knew before? I want to preface this by saying that this is not against any particular brand and people can have contract, you know, issues with, you know, anybody. And so I just want to talk about it from a, you know, 30,000 foot level. (laughs) Absolutely. So definitely what I've learned is, you know, we're in a people's business and when you end up going to a brokerage or a team, there's a level of trust. There's something that happens that draws you there. What I would say in hindsight is that no matter what is, you know, said or told or what you think is happening when you're signing the contract, always get independent legal advice because you don't know how that organization will change or how the things could change down the road that could affect what you were told. So that's my biggest takeaway is that we don't have enough education in the industry around contracts and what new agents should look for or any agent for that matter when they're switching teams or switching brokerages. And I think it's an education piece that needs to be, I know it's put in the course, but it's hard to connect it to reality because you're so excited when you get licensed. You just want to you're just saying, yeah, yeah, exactly. I rented a jet ski or a sea dude the other day and I didn't read it. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. He's like, if it gets damaged, so it's terrible, you know, cause I'm excited about the sea dude and getting out on the lake. But like you said, you got to look at this stuff and then get someone else to look at it. Like I don't speak legalese. I'm like, I don't even know what this means. You know, I've looked at contracts before and I feel like I'm a complete novice when it comes to understanding contracts. Exactly. Yeah. And I think there's a certain onus on, you know, brokerages and team leaders also to make sure that the structure of these contracts are for the benefit of the team. So, you know, I can talk about where we are now at Mortgage Architects. I've signed a team leader agreement with them. Our agents sign agent agreements, but they're not locked in. And, you know, now that we've kind of been in multiple different scenarios, I see that that's the best way to go. There's no reason why anyone should be handcuffed to where they are if they're not happy. Like if there's actually issues that cannot be resolved Mm -hmm. we have to look at this as a business decision at the end of the day right yeah makes sense okay wherever you guys are guys like you know i've got friends at every network every single group there's amazing people there and yeah just do some homework on this stuff so you understand how it works i think that's important okay so what are you most excited about right now like what's got you absolutely thrilled with your business and where things are headed well i'm super pumped that we got to a point where you know we've grown the team to over 40 agents Well, my own business has continued to grow exponentially and we were able to bring in a business recruiting and training manager where now I feel like I've gotten past those really, really tough years, you know, the building phase when you're strapped for time and you're all in. And now I feel like the team's being managed really well and I can put, you know, 100% focus on my own business and continue to grow it. So I feel like we finally reached that balanced point. And I was in a business meeting a few weeks ago and they were talking about having the right people on your bus. And if you don't have the right people on your bus, you know, the bus can't go anywhere. I don't want to be on the bus anymore, honestly. Like, let me off, you know, (laughs) if they're not right. It resonated so much with me because it was right at that point when everything started coming together and I had the right people. And I said that this is it. Like, once you have the right people on the bus, then you focus on keeping the people on the bus with you and moving forward, right? Right. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I love it. Okay, Sue, it's great to always connect. Look, I'll check in with you again in a year and see how you're doing. And it's exciting that your brokerage is growing. You've got agents. You've changed your process. You made it tighter. So, yeah, lots of learning. And it's crazy. You haven't been in the business that long. Like you said, like eight years or something. Like you're doing amazing. I can't remember. What was your background before? I grew up in a family business. So my whole entire life, I was working in my dad's business. I left for a few years, went to university in Toronto. What kind of business did he have? Just if you don't mind me asking. 
Yeah, he had a couple of businesses. He had an office supplies and office furniture business. And then later on, he opened a kitchen cabinet business where he was, you know, reselling kitchens to large builders in the city. And so I kind of like from the age of, you know, 11, I touched on every single aspect of the business. And it made me like a really well-rounded, like I can do operations all day long. I can do accounting. I can do the customer service sales side of it. So I have to give it up to like the family business for kind of molding me into who I am. Right. You have kids? I have two. Either of them look like they're going to go into business, do you think? Or they well, it's up? funny. My daughter's only eight, but she's telling everybody that she's going to be a mortgage broker like her mom when she grows up. Oh, that's awesome. I have three kids, and I swear if at least one of them doesn't start their own business, I will feel like I failed as a parent. I know there's more important <laughs> things like character and all these other things I need to teach them, but I'm like, man, I love being an entrepreneur, and my son for sure is wired for it. So I think yeah, as a parent, I'm like, there's nothing that makes me happier than seeing people willing to go take a risk, build something and, you know, learn and serve other people at the same time. So exactly. Yeah, it makes you feel good as a parent for sure. Totally awesome. Thanks. I appreciate you. Thank you. Nice seeing you again, Scott. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.